Welcome back to the 98 Studios podcast, everybody. Um, thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, we have Dana Bouchard, who Hello. is my girlfriend, Sienna's mom. And yeah, she's a real real cool gal. Aww. And so I think we're just going to kind of get into her story and yeah, go from there. I think where I want to start is how you got into your profession, which is barbering mm-hmm. and kind of what, like, yeah, just how you got into that. Barbering came about in, let's see, uh, eight years ago. Okay. I was actually contemplating going into the Air Force. Wow. So I was in a bit of a transition with my career. Uh I had graduated from UVU in graphic design, had been working at an architecture firm, and when the economy crashed, it was time to evaluate. And so I was looking at the Air Force, I was looking at web development, Mm. and then... I was cutting my boy's hair in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> enjoyed barbering. Yeah. So I looked at that as another possibility. Crazy. So you didn't even originally like think of before 2009 think of doing barbering like as a profession. No. No. I I really enjoy graphic design. Yeah. And so I thought that was definitely going to be my career Your path. Career path, yeah. Barbering is actually a really strong fit for me. Yeah. After I decided no on the Air Force, the the barber thing seemed very, um, just right up my alley. For, yeah, totally. One, I'm a total people person. Yeah. Two, it was still a very creative outlet. 100%, yeah. So that was another reason. And then also, I knew I had the opportunity to build a business. Yeah. And I think with my creative side, I enjoy the building of businesses. I've had yeah. businesses before, um, so it wasn't entirely new to me, but totally. I knew I had more to learn. Yeah. And that was interesting. And do you think that's always kind of been something you've wanted to do is create a business? And even when you were going to school for graphic design? I was freelancing yeah. in design. I felt very comfortable taking on clients. I felt cool. comfortable um, creating brands and starting from scratch. I love just that process. Yeah. is really fun. I like creating a concept and starting at zero and then watching that develop into yeah. something. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and so is it, yeah. so did you start the barber? I forget what it's called, the barbershop in Spanish work? Yeah. It was, well, it was in Springville. It Springville. was the refinery. The refinery, yes. That was a, a collaboration between a friend of mine, Steve Roccazella, mm-hmm. and myself yeah. after barber school. Um, I went to barber school in Salt Lake and we became uh, friends. And then he asked me actually if I okay. wanted to go into business with him. At that time, I actually knew that there was a strong chance that Dave and I uh, were moving to St. George. And so oh, wow. I told him, hey, I can go into business, but there is a strong chance I'll be moving to Southern Utah in yeah. two to three years. Yeah. And he's like, well, let's just go for it anyway and see what comes about. And then we'll we'll make moves as we need to, yeah. you know. And so we got the refinery going. And that was my first real go at branding a barbershop, of course. And yeah building a strong clientele, Mm -hmm. putting in the time and effort for about two and a half years until we moved to St. George. But it was a lot of fun building the brand and getting the right photography and building a site. Which that, that whole like process of building a clientele like takes a lot of time and like, it's crazy. So like, do you feel like it was kind of scary to move to St. George after you'd built like the refinery or... Did you have confidence that down in St. George you would have the same kind of clientele? Um, yeah, it was interesting because I knew I knew what it took. 
you're looking at at least two years, mm -hmm. if not more, yeah. to build a clientele. You need roughly 250 to 300 clients to have a strong full-time clientele. Yeah. And my advantage in Utah County was that I grew up in Utah County. I had a strong network. I yeah. had, I just knew a lot of people. Yeah. I knew a ton of people. Yeah. So it was, it actually happened pretty quick Yeah, in Springville, but in St. George, I did not know anyone. Yeah. So I was literally starting at zero, Yeah. but with no network. Yeah. And my first, my first kind of, priority yeah. was to create the brand and then immediately create a website. Okay. And so I knew that was going to be the way people would find me initially yeah. just because I don't have like a, I wouldn't Off have a like strong Google word of mouth. And Yelp and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So in creating the concept for benchmark barbershop, I was branching out on my own. I had no business partner and I had an opportunity to build my own values and passions yeah. into that brand. Yeah. Mary, like, and you did, I mean, kind of getting back, like you did all the graphic design and all that kind of stuff I for did. the brand. For both of them. And that was, that yeah. was always kind of my role. Oh, you did it for refinery too. I did. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that was really fun. And it was just a fun opportunity to bring my design skills into yeah. the barbershop. Totally. And so then in, with Benchmark, it was a time where I could, I didn't really have to worry about the location at the refinery, we were inside of Legends Motorcycles. Yeah, mm -hmm. and Legends, of course, is a fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you got building. I mean, in. it's super industrial. Yeah, and it's very thoughtfully designed, and mm -hmm. every inch of that place has been painted. Yeah, and I mean, a barbershop fit like perfectly in there. It did. Yeah. yeah, everything was made to look either rusted or burned or yeah. like it had been there for a hundred years. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it was a really fun space to work with. And yeah. so the refinery name just felt right Yeah, totally. because it just felt like it captured that industrial vibe. Yeah. And then, um, and so what was the, when you moved down to St. George and like was starting benchmark, what was the idea behind naming it benchmark? So because I was on my own and I could marry my two passions into the shop, yeah. I had, my love for the outdoors mm -hmm. and also this kind of value system in my mind of quality yeah, and also like a, an accountability to myself yeah. to have discipline and to have high standards for myself. Mm -hmm. And I always like aiming for goals. And so one thing that I really wanted to, I wanted people to recognize about the shop was that benchmark was a place where you you could come to expect quality yeah. and that we were continually learning, growing, setting new standards, setting goals, yeah. and that we weren't just complacent or yeah. or going to be really relaxed about you our standards. kind of just like running a business, like make service. a profit. You're just like, yeah. you were really yes. in like kind of trying to become like engraved in the community and yeah. like help that community. The definition of benchmark is a standard like that, uh, that anybody else can measure against. Mm, okay. And when I say that, it wasn't as like a an ego thing. Yeah. For in competition with other barber shops, it wasn't like, oh, we're the best, and you have to measure up to us. That yeah. was never the idea. Mm. It's always you against you. Totally. And yeah. so, so with the shop, I just felt like our opportunity was to level up as barbers. And to level up in the community and, and deliver haircuts and services that 
was consistent. Totally. Consistently top quality. Yeah. It's so hard to find good barber. It is like the most frustrating thing for guys, I feel like, is trying to find a barber that like legit, like it just time after time does not fail. It's like, it's impossible. It feels like. I had a lot of fun. I say we... I say we now because I do have a team, but at yeah. the time it was myself. Just you, but yeah. There were always a lot of people that I feel supported and helped in different ways to yeah. make it come together. So mm-hmm. I can say we because I had a client from Utah County that built the station for me. Yeah, uh, There were various people who, who definitely influenced yeah. the shaping of Benchmark. And now it's you and Adley that cut Correct. together. And yeah. yeah. And Adley's awesome too. Yeah. yeah. One of the reasons why the name came about was because... Mm. In anytime you're out in like if you're if you get to a the top of a mountain mm-hmm. or a significant elevation, you're gonna find those those indicators, those metal plaques yeah. that the geographical survey put out that okay. indicate elevation. And I always love the symbolism of those plaques because it reflects back to my love for nature and mm-hmm. hiking and and summiting reaching for high points mm-hmm. and that you you don't see those markers unless you're in high places. Totally, yeah. So I love the symbolism of that. And then I love the definition in general that it is a standard yeah. to measure against. And so um, just going back to how I came up with the name Benchmark, it was those two ideas that I felt just perfectly aligned with what I was kind trying to together. do. Yeah. 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 And did it, was it always kind of a like, how soon did the name Benchmark come to you? Like, was it, were there any oh. other contenders? Did it take a while? Yeah. Coming up with a business name, I feel like, is such a challenge. It's such a challenge. It's, it's so hard. I had lists and lists. Yeah. And I would spend... We went with our birthday. Like, that yeah. was our, like our <laughs> yeah. birth year. Right. was our best hey, idea. Whatever works. Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, one, coming up with your birthday, that still reflects a part of you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I think that's important. Yeah. That was the and idea. It's a, it's a part, part of your us. story. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, but it is not easy coming up with a name and then graphics alone are like such another challenge, but do you feel like very confident that you were, were able to like tackle that part of the business? I had a lot of fun yeah. coming up with the branding for benchmark. It's su- it's such a cool branding. It's so cool. The, um, the concept with benchmarks branding started with inspiration from old British camps that Ooh. would travel with their folded wooden furniture, campaign mm-hmm. furniture. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that they had nice pieces of furniture for camping. Yeah. And I just kept thinking about old ranger stations and a little bit of military Kind of like those old like fire watch like stations, exactly. stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, outposts and mm-hmm. and I wanted I wanted a, a rustic camp feel. I didn't want it to feel like a cabin, but I wanted it to feel like more tailored to those who spent time in the wilderness mm-hmm. and who understand being out in remote areas. Yeah, not necessarily the luxuries. Totally, the, of that the side outside? of, of yeah. camping, uh-huh. but more so like the very minimal. Yeah, like what it takes to just travel lightly lightly, or, you know, but with, with some homage to, to some of the old camps. And that's, that's where our station design came from. Yeah. So our station literally will just like two bolts unscrew. Oh, really? And then it like folds up. You can, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Easily disassemble. So that was, that was kind of a fun element. And then our logo 
is very much representative of symbols that you see. Well, one, you see that symbol, the triangle yeah. on a benchmark plaque. You see it frequently on maps. Yeah. So it's our triangle with the over the crisscross top, like a TP yep. with a plus sign in the middle. And what that represents is each leg of the triangle represents a value. Okay. Giving back mm-hmm. is one. Yeah. Integrity and sustainability. Gotcha. So those are the three. The plus sign in the middle is representative that we can always do more. Mm, damn, that's our logo. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. That's so. I love it when like you, like people break down their logos. Like there's YouTube videos on it and like of like how people like break down their logos and yeah. how like you can like size it up and how it's like recognizable no matter like what size it is. I think that's always a hard thing to like. That's a very accomplish. crucial factor in yeah. graphic design. You want readability at any size. Yeah. And so keep you want it to be simple. recognizable and like easy, which I totally feel like like you could just. As like, I feel like you could just have the plus mark and be like, "Oh, it's benchmark," which is really cool. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, speaking of those, kind of like you were talking about, like the triangle and the like three sides of your business. Yeah, you mentioned. Um, sorry, you mentioned sustainability, integrity, giving back, and giving back. and giving back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, integrity and giving back. Mm-hmm. Um, getting into the giving back side. Yeah, a big part of why we shot the documentary. And we'll continue to shoot the documentary mm-hmm. and um, are doing this interview is because of your relationship with Eternal Hope mm-hmm. and what you did for them. Yes. If you want to get into a little bit about like how you came to found, find them and like why you connected with that so much would be awesome. Connecting with Eternal Hope Nepal was a very special part of building the benchmark business plan. Mm-hmm. It came just before I made the move to St. George my dear friends that live across from me at the time, Beth and Marlon Dearden, had been heavily involved with their own humanitarian-based organization that helps other nonprofits get off the ground. Okay. And but they are very strict about their criteria. Mm. It involves nonprofits who are focused on self-reliance and education. Okay. And so what they do is they help get those those new nonprofits the funding they need to get momentum. So Beth and Marlon were just starting to work with Eternal Hope Nepal and they had met Usha and they loved her story and they loved what her mission was. And that was to help children living in Nepal that live in the slums who wouldn't really have a chance to go to school because education is not free. Yeah. So parents can't afford these parents that live in the slums can't afford to send their kids to school. Mm -hmm. They're in survival mode. They live on less than $3 a day. Beth shared that story with me and She's like, Dana, I just I just think this is something that you'd be really interested in. I and and I don't know that she knew even like how far back my interest went with that region. Yeah. Cause I don't think she I know she didn't know that. Yeah. I think she just thought I did have an interest in humanitarian. Yeah, and like aid. giving back and, and so stuff I, like that. I think yeah. she knew from that standpoint, but but I think it is interesting that she approached me with their organization. That one particularly. Yeah, because um, it's not that I necessarily had the strong connection to Nepal prior, Yeah. but I did have a strong interest in the Himalayas and in Tibet Yeah. from the time Just I was Just like the culture 18, over 19. there, everything. Yeah, yeah, and some of the history and learning about how the Dalai Lama had to flee Tibet when the Chinese took over yeah. in the 50s. And I remember being 19 years old and learning more about that whole incident Mm -hmm. and just feeling 
like these people were being forced out of their homes, their homes and their culture and their beliefs. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason it, I, I think, I think injustice just kind of sticks kinda with hits you. me hard. Totally, yeah. And so I felt for these people in a way that I couldn't explain, but yeah. I just felt like, wow, like these people had to flee because they're not allowed to recognize their religious leader. Yeah. And I, you know, kind of hit a place in your heart. It did. Yeah. yeah, totally. And then the Himalayas have always just been this like <laughs> kind of pipe dream Huge almost. Thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like I liked following the stories of of the climbers in Everest. Yeah. And and what was happening in '97? There was a massive um, group of people. Well, there were eight people who died that year. Jeez. Within a couple guided expeditions, hiking Everest. Yeah. That just. There was a book about it, Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Oh, uh uh-huh, yeah. Which also became a movie. Yeah. So, you know, I could just pour over those those stories and looking at the pictures of the Himalayas and the mountains. And not that I ever felt like I needed to climb Everest or was going to climb Everest, but I felt a connection to that region. Yeah. And I just always think it's so cool to see the Sherpas and their ability to do what they do. Yeah it's inspiring and totally. it's, it's so fascinating that these people can live that high yeah. and, and have the endurance that they have and have the strength. It's like, it's almost inhuman. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and watching I some guess, of those Sherpas on, especially like watching that, um, is it 14 peaks? Stuff yes, on Netflix, exactly. Where they just like, go, like go like yeah. week after week and hike these yes. crazy mountains. You're like, it's, that seems like impossible. Like, in, it doesn't even make sense. It's incredible what they're doing. Yeah. It's so the whole region is insane. And, so it you, you're saying it was just kind of weird that yeah, she brought it up and it, it was kind there of was candid. already there was already like some seeds planted for that yeah. region right yeah and then I just loved that she was reaching out to again to these people who like I guess I just felt that same injustice yeah you know where there's a caste system mm-hmm. and so because there's a caste system you're born with a last name and that last name dictates the jobs you can get. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's wild. That's really wild. It's That's wild. crazy. It's stuff that we have, unless you like so, hear about it yeah. or unless you see it. So separated from no like that idea. side of We like, are very isolated yeah, from that. Totally. It's something that we just don't have to deal with. Yeah. And so I felt that same injustice again. Yeah. And I think it just pulled me in. And totally. I, I just felt drawn to it. And, and so, I felt like, wow, Beth's telling me about this group. They're looking for donors. They're looking for sponsors. Yeah. They're trying to get the word out. And it was just like, and yeah, so what I want to be point a part of this. Did you integrate Eternal Hope immediately. into Okay. Immediately. So I hadn't even launched the shop yet. Like, I hadn't oh, even really? opened my doors yet. <laughs> I was literally writing my business plan okay. in that phase. Oh, that's the phase I was in. I was gotcha. still living at Wildwood in oh, Provo wow. Canyon. I was still, so I had begun all my branding. So this was like a year before plan. you were moving to St. George, like a couple of months? Yeah. I I really, knowing, let's, we bought our house in 2016. Okay. I opened the doors to Benchmark in 2017 in August. Crazy. And I had started, I think once we built our home, or sorry, once we bought our home, I had begun the process of branding wow, and that's creating crazy. what would be benchmark. Okay. So, 
so I was still living at Wildwood. She told me about Eternal Hope. I immediately penned like that into my in. business model. And what is it? It's I give 1%, 1% of annually, annually. of okay, all cool. of our barber services. Wow. So anytime somebody comes to get a haircut, a beard trim, or a shave, yeah. uh, 1% of that. Which, you know, 1% is not a lot. I mean, you give a $30 yeah. haircut and that's 30 cents. Yeah. It's nothing. But over the scheme of a year, it adds, it up. adds up. Totally, yeah. And the other thing that, like, I mean... Let's see, in 2021, I think my check to them was about, it was right around $800. Okay, cool. And I just remember, well, I know now how far that goes. Yeah, totally. The first year, I think I ended up giving them, I mean, it was only a half a year of business because I opened it in August. Uh I think I gave them like... $200 $200 uh-huh. or something. And then my first full year, it was like $600. Yeah. Okay. And I just felt like this is nothing. Like yeah. this is nothing. And then when I saw what they did with it, like I geez. was just overwhelmed because I could not believe how far that money goes. Yeah. Just how strong the dollar is against the Nepali rupee. Yeah. Was staggering. Yeah. Just so, like how much they could get done with 600 yeah. bucks. Like, I mean, they were buying. Crazy. They were literally buying like a hundred pairs of track pants, a hundred pairs of sandals, um, a hundred toothbrushes, toothpaste, you name That's it. That's crazy. I mean, notebooks, backpacks. It was wow. I was. That's amazing. I I was <laughs> kind of at a loss You're for like, words. Damn. Because awesome. I was like, okay, so I'm not going to really ha- like discount what I just did. Totally. Because yeah. I I really had no idea. Yeah. Until like a few weeks later when yeah. they showed me all the photos uh-huh. of like what and that then, bought. And then I think that created just this, this next surge, like, okay, like, I'm not even going to worry about it now yeah. because uh-huh. I know how far the money goes. And yeah. and what's great about their organization is their, their entire administration is volunteer. Yeah. The you told only, me that. Yeah. Which so is crazy. <laughs> the only people who get paid are their school teachers. That's awesome. They don't have an office. Because that's rare to find it is. in a it nonprofit. Is. It is. Like usually like in execs are paid a lot of money or which like makes sense, but like it's cool that they're doing it a complete different way. Yeah. And just paying their teachers, which is truthfully probably the hardest part of like running, like being a part of that organization. Like I can't imagine like just teaching and like it well, would be so much. And not only that, but Usha, who started the program, Usha Wall, was a doctor in Nepal and she she gave up her doctor career to Jeez. to do this. Yeah. So did she grow so up in Nepal or she did, did. She, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. So she grew up her story is really unique. It's cool. Um her family was very poor when she was growing up. Yeah. At the time though, well, I should backtrack a little bit. Her when she was very young, the king of Nepal decreed that all landowners must give a portion of their land to their basically their servants, their the people that were oh, working on their land. Yeah. So overnight her family became rich. Whoa. And then could begin like feeding their kids healthier. That's crazy. And she is now the tallest of her siblings because she ended up getting the most nutritious food. Like out of, you know, her older siblings wow, who had yeah. already they were still like not very well off. The part of the family about, when it was like not yeah, as didn't have as much land and all that. Exactly. Kind of stuff. And then so 
they saw a lot of potential in Usha, and they I think they also just tried extra hard because they saw that potential in her. Yeah, and they knew that she was smart, and they wanted to see her really excel. And yeah. so she ended. So up, what year did Eternal Hope start? No, um, I think it was 2015. Okay, because wow. I think it's been seven years. That's crazy. And they had just they started with five students, and now it's well over 500. Wow, that's and crazy. So, so is it a whole like? Like I'm trying to picture it. Like, what is it? Like, okay. They have numerous villages and communities. Some are in Kathmandu, some are in Chitwan, some are rural, some are up higher. Not so high. Yeah. Um, but but they have all these little that are like owned villages. by eternal. Yeah, Hope but kind see, of thing. they don't even always have actual classrooms. Sometimes the kids don't have a facility to meet in just yet yeah and so they have outdoor learning so they they actually just find a space in the community like like outside and they put down blankets and give them notebooks and other they do singing they do dances they do um writing and reading and And the goal is hopefully to teach these nepali kids what exactly like get them brought up into their um just to kind of bring them up to speed to go to public school. Okay. And so this isn't even public school yet. No. It's like just kind of like It's it's an opportunity for them to be brought up to speed and then matriculate, get into the public schools, but then that has also presented challenges culturally. They've not always been able to successfully integrate the children because mm. sometimes the cast culture is even though it's illegal to practice it it's been so ingrained in their minds that higher castes treat lower castes poorly and castes is like based off name levels of society you're rich you're elite you're rich you're middle class and you're poor and then these are the people they're called the dalit d-a-l-i-t cast it's that's how you spell it yeah um they are (laughs) this is like so crazy but they're called the untouchables And that's how low they are, that if the shadow of an untouchable crosses the path of a higher caste, they will go bathe because they feel like they're so beneath them. That's insane. It's, again... Again, so so, out of our, like, world of normalcy that's like... Yeah, it blows me away. It blows me away. But you're... So... So what happens is sometimes matriculating these children into the public schools is challenging because the teachers will sometimes bully the are kids. Are technically a higher caste. They are, than, okay, yeah. Okay. And so sometimes they've been uh, problematic. They've Damn. they've bullied the kids or they've made them feel like they're a, a dog, like they're less than. And so sometimes they've had to pull kids out and bring them back to their Eternal Hope program. Yeah. And sometimes they're able to work with the teachers and teach them and educate them and kind of help them see the bigger picture. Yeah. And so wow. it really is case by case. That's crazy. Um, but they're doing a beautiful job. Yeah. So and they really try to follow these kids all the way through. They like, do. Through that public school. <laughs> they do. I mean, they like some of them right now are being sponsored that are only three years old. Whoa. So now like it's really special because these kids are going to have vitamins and That's they're going to have some early, like, kind of preschool yeah. opportunity. And as they get closer to, you know, 
a regular like five, six, seven year old, yeah. uh, kindergarten, first grade type age, mm-hmm. you know, th- but they're going to get early on attention. That, That's amazing. You know, and, and what's also really cool is um, while it does require a sponsor for a child to go to school, mm-hmm. um, they also want the parents to have a little skin in the game. Okay. And so what they ask is that parents give even like a dollar a month. Oh, okay. So that their kid is staying in school and they just see the consistency and the dedication parents have once they are putting forth that effort and sacrificing that money, no matter how small it is to keep their kid in school. Because the, the flip side of that is that if parents are so destitute that they don't send their kids to school and they, mm-hmm. their kids don't have sponsors, yeah. then they're literally marrying their daughters off anywhere between ages like eight to 14 Whoa. or who knows, who knows even younger, sometimes. you know, I mean, but that's crazy. So, so it's saving children from getting married off at young ages. Wow. Um, and that's insane. Yeah. It's, Jeez. it's creating opportunities that, you know, would not normally, be it just wouldn't happen. Kind of kids, yeah. No. So it's, yeah. it's really shining a bright light in their lives. Yeah. That's insane. And I mean, and even, it, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's, it's $20 yeah. for a month, like a month to month really? to sponsor a child. That's crazy. That's that seems like that's like seems like such a small amount that is just like yeah. changing these kids' lives. It is. It's like four cups of coffee, yeah, in a month. So like, and <laughs> you this, know, this kid's month is like taken yeah, care of. for sure. They get equipped with a backpack, a uniform. They get lunch. They get vitamins. They get wow. their education. All that for twenty bucks. Yeah, jeez, yeah. go donate. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. Seriously, <laughs> eternalhopeinternational.com. There you go. Yeah. And so, I mean, what's even crazier is you were talking a little about like the eight hundred and like. I feel like you were downplaying it a little bit, even though that is still a ton of money, but you literally just raised more than 30K for a school, a learning center. It's such an insane feat. I I still am kind of having a hard time fathoming like how much money it is. Has it like set in yet that like you've raised that much money? Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Um, Okay. It's been a wild ride for the last yeah. four weeks. Well, and I mean, since February when I was officially accepted into 29029 yeah. Everesting. That's a fun story. But yeah, I mean, you want to jump into that? Yeah, let's get into all the, okay. the whole like kind of story of how you found, because we kind of got into how you found uh, Eternal Hope. So yeah. kind of going into the 29029 Everesting and just connecting that to Eternal Hope. Okay. Um I guess it was 2020. I ran across an ad on Instagram for 29029 Everesting, which is a you against you hiking challenge. Yeah. It's not a race, but it is definitely a big challenge where you hike the equivalent elevation of Mount Everest in a 36 hour window. Mm-hmm. And they have a few locations. They do like five of them a year. Yeah. And they cap it at 250 participants per event. I, I saw the ad and it, was like, whoa, I have not seen this event. This is really cool. This yeah. seems like something I should learn more about. Is really cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And as someone who loves to hike mm-hmm. and loves 
a good challenge. Yeah. I I just I kept it on my radar. Yeah. 2020 was not the year to do it. <laughs> so, um, and then last year, it was still you know I was I was thinking about it. Thinking it was just it, in yeah. my mind, but it was really the summer of 2021. My, um, Adley and I we were having a work meeting, mm-hmm. and I had read what is now one of my favorite books called The Buddha and the Badass by mm. Vishen Lakhiani. I wanted to read that book for a really long time. I highly I recommend it. Okay. The Buddha and the Badass has three questions called the three MIQs, mm-hmm. the most important questions. Yeah. And a lot of it revolves around finding your purpose. Now, I would say this can relate to business or personal. And in this book, it is a business book. Mm-hmm. So it's leaning on that, but you can you can overlap really this. To your yeah. Life, yeah. Um, so the three MIQs are: what do you want to experience? How do you want to grow? And what do you want to contribute? Mm-hmm. Adley and I put ourselves through this exercise, and what we did is we had pen and paper with those questions, and we timed each question with like four minutes to answer each one. Oh, okay. And you have just four minutes, and the reason for that is that you're gonna write whatever comes first yeah you don't have time to sit and just overthink it yeah you write down what comes first and bullet points whatever lists what do i want to experience yeah okay and then you go to the next how do i want to grow and then what do i want to contribute yeah and you get real clear yeah because you have to be you just can't you you don't want to waste the time (laughs) exactly so it's fun and after reviewing my answers to that Uh I realized how much of it revolved around service and my own personal development and, and Nepal. Yeah. So I thought, well, if I'm, if I have all these things that I want to experience and I, I know how I want to grow and, and I have these ideas of how, or like what I want to contribute, yeah. what would that look like? What do I need to do yeah. to make that happen? Mm-hmm. So then I started making a new list. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well, one of those things was, I mean, I don't want to climb Everest, but I do want to climb the seventh highest in the Himalayas, mm-hmm. which is Mount Dalagiri. Dalagiri, yeah. And I thought, well, what would I need to do in order to get ready for that? Because I yeah. want to do that in like three or four years. Yeah. And I thought, well, I just have to start climbing. And yeah. then 29029 came to mind. And it was like, man, that would be a great training event. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a great training event. It'd be a good way to kickstart all yeah. of this idea. So then I started looking at registration and getting in and I missed the window for 2022. Yeah. I mean, it sold out in like a It like a sells hours, out right? quickly. Which is crazy, yeah. So, so I it I mean, takes you place at see the hill. <laughs> people are signing like I can't believe it sold out. Like people are signing up to hike this like what looks to be a death hill. It's like straight up. It's, it doesn't even stop. You're hiking up st- Straight up, uh, the ski runs at Snow Basin. It's insane. Where they so ha- it sold out completely. That. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it, they only take two hundred fifty people. So yeah, yeah. What was really fun about me getting into that was it was so kind of serendipitous. I have a client named Casey mm-hmm. who's been with me since the beginning, and he was saying, "Hey, Dana, what are you doing for training right now?" This was like in February. Yeah. And we talk a lot about circuit training and hiking and all kinds of stuff. We're both pretty into our activities that way. Yeah. 
and I said, well, I'm hiking a lot and I'm, I'm trying to get into 29029 Everesting, but I'm on the wait list until somebody cancels. Yeah. So he's like, my sister-in-law works for them and she's in charge of registration. Oh, no way. And so I was like, what? <laughs> Small world? Yeah. She lives in Hurricane. And I was like, what? Okay, your sister-in-law lives 15 minutes away what from me, heck? and she works for 29029. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. It was very I've never heard the story. That's so okay, funny. Okay, yeah. So he's like, you know what? So he's in the middle of a haircut where we're having this conversation. He's like, yeah. I'm going to make a call. Yeah. It's also kind of just to say really quickly, it is kind of crazy how many people you've met from haircutting. <laughs> like, the amount of yeah. connections you have from haircutting is oh, really funny. It, I mean, I literally yeah. I say whenever we go somewhere to Siena, we cannot literally take a step without seeing someone she knows. Oh, and I feel gosh, like it's pretty similar with you. <laughs> Dave says the same thing all the time. <laughs> it's like <laughs> just running into someone consistently. I'm like, totally. this is crazy. How do you yeah. know this many people? Yeah. Anyway. Well, sorry. part of it is, I mean, you're in the hood, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so later that afternoon, yeah. I get a text from Casey and he says, hey, you're going to hear from my sister-in-law. She's, I think there may be a place for you. Wow. So sure enough, about an hour later, I get a text message with the good news that 29029 has a spot for me. That's crazy. And I was out on a hike when I got that so message. So you didn't even have to wait for the waitlist stuff to like open well, up? Or it, well, I did. Was it kind of like... It just that there was a spot okay, that great. opened up. Gotcha. And so they were... Yeah. They were Maybe able they to fit me in. Up the waitlist a little bit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for whatever reason, I got in. Yeah, you got in. I got in. Yeah. It was supposed to happen. It was faith. It was, it was, it was fate. Yes. Sorry. Yes. It was, it was. So, um, that was just, it was like, yeah, that yeah. was a fun story. I mean, I remember right? when you got in and like how excited you were and cause it was a little scary. How many, like how many months before the actual event did you get in? So it was the end of February that I found out they had room for me. Yeah. And, it, and the so event is in the August. event was in August. It was in August. Yeah. So six months, yeah. which is great because yeah. I mean, I had already been a long time. You know, training. Yeah. Yeah. And then you announced so, the whole raising $30,000 for a little bit after that. A little bit after yeah, that. Yeah. Th- what was what always the plan? Well, or no, not entirely. Yeah. It came to me after I got in. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Cool. So it was during my training that yeah. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to be climbing nearly 30,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And what a perfect venue for a big fundraiser. And then it was like, okay, Usha told me a few months ago that she really wanted to, it was honestly, it's her dream. That's what she even reminded me of the last time I visited with her just before um, my event. It it was like early August. Mm -hmm. She reminded me, she goes, Dana, you know, as you're gearing up for this, you realize like when I told you about this job skills training center, I just thought this was a dream for me to be able to build this job skills training center for our graduates. And then you took that conversation and you're making it a reality. Yeah. And so this was like, this was like a week and a half or two weeks before the event. And I, I, I don't know that I even remembered that part of it, that it was her dream, Yeah, but she reminded me that it was, but I knew it was important to her. Totally. Yeah. And I, what I just remember was hearing her tell me that the graduates were already some of them already going through a student teaching curriculum to learn and to be a part of 
um, the students and, and they were learning how to be teachers. Oh, wow. So it was coming full circle. They were already trying to create Teach that opportunity for some of these, like yeah, some of these girls who were graduated and, yeah. and so she just thought, man, if we could build this job skills training center, what else could we do? Yeah, totally. I mean, we could, we could work on hospitality. You could make careers for yes. like a whole community. I mean, that's exactly. huge. So yeah. we're talking hospitality, tourism, maybe down the road accounting, but definitely small business, school teaching. Yeah. Um, they have various trades that they want to work on. I mean, I think that's the craziest part. You, you Like they're already giving kids like crazy opportunities that they would most likely never get the chance to be a part of. Yeah. And then with this training center, it would just open up the, like the like roads for these kids even more, like to an extent that was like unheard of kind of thing. It really is. Yeah. Like it's, it's incredibly beautiful. What's, yeah. what's happening. Um, and I, it's just easy to get behind it mm-hmm. from, you know, it, yeah, totally. I, I think I, again, if you think to the caste system and, and what I was initially feeling with just wanting them to have some justice, wanting them to have some opportunities that we just, we don't even have to think about. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's not even about taking it for granted. It is, we don't even don't have think to about think it. about yeah. it. Yeah. I don't even have to, right? yeah, the fact that I would like maybe have to think about someone like not wanting to even be near my shadow. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Insane. It's, like, yeah. it's so outside this world. And it is. so, yeah. Yeah. I, I, right. So with the whole 30 K, is yeah. that, ex- was that Usha? That's exactly how much they needed or what was kind of, that the, was a number that was really based on how many feet, feet I was climbing. Was climbing. Okay. And I just thought, you know, this will probably make a good dent. I mean, <laughs> and, and again, yeah. I didn't even, I don't think I really even knew how much of a dent it would make. I did ask Usha later, yeah. but at, initially it was, you know, I'm hiking 29,000 feet. Why don't I try to raise $30,000? And then that's where it took off. And I just said, okay, this is what I'm committing to. Yeah. And I told Usha my idea. Initially I asked her if she wanted to do it with me, but she mm-hmm. and Randall already had plans to be flying to Nepal the same like literally the same weekend I was doing the event. Yeah. So it wasn't possible for her to do the event with me, but she had, you know, she's like, I give you my blessing, please. Like if you're going to do this, we fully support this project. Totally. And, and we're, we're, we're behind it a hundred percent. So, yeah. So you had three, two ish months to yeah. raise. 30K. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What? What's wrong with that? <laughs> so much fun. Like, um, I know, I think I've said this before. Yeah. Um, Because occasionally there would be weeks where no money would come in. Yeah. Right. And I would say, you couldn't just be happy hiking 29,000 feet. <laughs> no, no. You, you had, had to add. You, you had, had to, to add. raise. <laughs> all this extra work. 30K. To the, 30K. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. I actually all along knew that the 30,000 was going to happen. Yeah. Now, I guess this is where just based off faith or kind of, this is where I will, I will definitely say there was, um, there was a very strong element spiritually that kicked in here. Yeah. And, and there were just, some, some, I guess I had a lot of inspiration that came through Yeah, where I felt like 
this is a strong part of my purpose in life. Totally. Yeah. And there's been different experiences and, and I don't know, just things that I've felt and conversations I've had, but also insights that I've had that have led me to where I am. Yeah. And I felt like this is what I needed to do. This was, I was kind of put in a position where my strength and my fitness were such that I could do this, this hike. Yeah. I could draw awareness for eternal hope international. Yeah. I could raise money for these kids because I've been blessed with incredible coaches. Yeah. Facilities to train knowledge, seminars, people yeah. who have supported me. I've had an education. I've had, stuff. you know, I've, I've lived with a lot of opportunity. Yeah. And so a lot of this, when I would reflect on what I was doing, I just kept coming back to the fact that I have an opportunity to let like, my resources yeah. give in a big way. Yeah. Give that like same opportunity yeah. back yeah. to kids that exactly. like, really need it. Exactly. Yeah. And so it was really, really cool to kind of put those things together mm -hmm. because for sure the hiking part of it is just a passion. Yeah. And so it's something that's going to fulfill a big goal of mine down the road. Yeah. But I would say in this event, I felt like this was so much more like way so much beyond bigger that. than you. Yeah. Yeah. Way beyond that. It felt like that too. I think even like shooting the little documentary that we did and um, just like hearing you talk about it, it always felt like you realized it was so much bigger than you. Yeah. And I mean, it came, it became very apparent as soon as um, like mon the money started growing and like it really just, and then eventually Usha told you that it would cover pretty much the entire thing. Right. I did ask her and her husband, Randall, I said, just out of curiosity, you know, I know you guys want to do an earth bag construction yeah. um, center, which is, you know, earthquake resistant and flood resistant. Mm -hmm. How much does that cost? Like what, outside of what the land cost, what are the materials and labor? Yeah. And they said, honestly, you're, if you raise 30,000, that's going to cover most, if not all of the project. Construction, yeah. And so. It's crazy. I was, I'm, you're like, damn. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that, yeah. that felt like, okay, that's a great number then. Like, I yeah. feel like. Totally. We've got to hit that. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. I, again, I, as big as that number is, it's, it's where there's a lot of money around. Like there's a ton of money, but we're totally. also in a very tough economy right now. Yeah. You know, gas prices are high. Food prices are high. Living expenses are high. Yeah. And so while. Everything feels like it's on the precipice of a recession. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just thought, you know, it might be really hard for people right now. Totally. And I have to keep that in mind. And so, and then not to mention, there's a lot of people who give to other causes. It's not, you know, yeah. it, there's a lot of people who give to other causes. Yeah. So there's so great. many out there. There's so, so like, many. Yeah. And so it's really aligning with those who believe in what I'm trying to do and also believe in what eternal hope is trying to do mm -hmm. and seeing that this project is going to have a huge ripple effect. Yeah. And so really all the marketing and all the fundraising came down to trying to share that message and trying to share different angles of that story yeah. in a way that 
hopefully would resonate with people. Just, and yeah. and I wanted them to be enthusiastic about joining my team and feeling like this was this is all of us like together. Effort. Very much mm-hmm. coming yeah. together. And with that, it wasn't even those who donated who helped. I had people help in so many ways, like anybody who shared the story, anybody who mm-hmm. emailed a friend, anybody who yeah. sent me a text message encouraging me. There were numerous ways people helped. Yeah, totally. People gave me leads mm-hmm. to businesses. People gave me ideas. Yeah. And all of those things together helped shape totally. what all came together. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, so it's been about – uh it's been a month. It's been a month, which is crazy. Yeah. And so, I mean, after that race, which was just crazy, I thought, you're, I didn't even know how you did that. It was, I mean, yeah. I, I can't even explain how steep everything looked <laughs> and how hard it looked. And even how, like, I think both me and Sienna both said, like, we were sitting down and, like, at the end, there's that cool, like, like banquet that's held and you all get medals and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um how cool of a community that felt like. Yeah. And I was like, damn, like I want to do this. It, <laughs> it was like, it's, it's so cool. It's it an was, inspiring group of people. Totally. Yeah. And like, yeah, the setup's really nice. And like, it was just a really cool event. Very well organized event. Yeah. And I would say, um, it, they do say that they are like a full service, totally, like yeah. kind of all inclusive event, which, which it, it to- totally owns up to that. It does. Yeah. Yeah. There was not a single thing of that event where I was like, oh, they got everything you need. Yeah. There was like each, they had pickle juice. Yeah. I was like, who's having pickle juice? <laughs> so weird. They thought of everything. They thought of everything. Thought of everything. So it was super um, cool. Yeah. And- the biggest thing that happened to facilitate that $30,000 goal yeah. happened very, um, like just before the event. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think we touched on this yet, but. 11 days before the event was starting, Mm -hmm. my sister-in-law reached out to me and she said, you need to email this account at doTERRA Mm. because they have a matching program for fundraisers for anybody who is doing like a project-based fundraiser and they've done the legwork, they will match funds as if it kind of meets their criteria. So I reached out to that contact and... They sent me the application, and fortunately, our project coincided with what their criteria yeah. is all about. And that's I mean, it made a lot of sense for DoTerra. And yeah, like education, self reliance. They yeah. love Nepal. They I mean, source yeah, Nepal, ingredients. Yeah. yeah, they source ingredients in Nepal. Yeah, and so the one caveat is that DoTerra really likes people to start their fundraisers on their platform because they have a fundraising platform. Oh, I gotcha. But it was so late in the game, yeah. and I had already come this far. Yeah, that, you'd already raised like 10, yeah. 12K. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I don't know Can't if they're going to approve my fundraiser or not because yeah. I'm not on their platform. Okay. So I, I did the application. Everything was submitted. And then three days before 29029, yeah. I get an email saying they had approved my application to match up to $15,000 of our donations. Yeah. And and what were you sitting at at that time? Right at that time, I was like at eleven. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I was just like, You're like "This is happening." Oh shit. This like that is happened. Happening. Yeah, totally. So now, like all this time, I knew 
It made it very real. It made it very real, yeah, totally. yes. And I knew, you know, all along, I know why I'm doing this. Yeah. And these people all around me are helping me create how. Yeah. Like, that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. I don't know how it's going to happen. Yeah. I just know it's going to. Going to, yes. I know because it's supposed to. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's supposed to. So you had so much faith in it that yeah. you're like, no matter what, it's going to work. It's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah. It, which, yeah. yeah. There were there were a few people along the way that would sometimes say, you know, Dana, even if you don't raise 30000 let's just say you raise ten. That's still great. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, I would say, you know, it's not, I'm I'm going to raise thirty. Yeah. And they're like, oh. Which is such a crazy okay. amount of like, like, confidence to have in yourself. It's, I, and it's insane. It's, like I just knew it was supposed to happen. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. Yeah. Which is it, so, very, very cool. Yeah. And it was, it, yeah, it was a very emotional, like, event. And I think even, like, after the event was finished, I mean, I'm sure for you it was, like, so surreal. And, like, does it has it really set in, like, that you've raised all that money? or like, Um. It took a little bit of time, but yeah. it actually hit me on Ascent 9. So there were 13 Ascents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dave's, my husband Dave, his sister reached out on Saturday morning. And on our fundraiser on Saturday morning, we were sitting a little over 12000 okay. Now, there were a couple other donations, like cash donations that had come through yeah. that weren't reflected on the pledge site. Yeah. But Dave's sister, she reached out and she's like, will you please have Dana email me the link? So I did that and she donated enough to push us over that 15,000 mark. Jeez. Yeah. And honestly, right around set nine, I sent nine. Yeah. Yeah. I sent nine. I broke down. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. So you guys arrived halfway through 10, halfway through 10. Yeah. I broke down on nine mm. and I was nearing the top and knowing that her donation was pushing us over that 15,000 mark. Yeah. I kind of lost it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't speak when oh, I wow. got back to like Dave met me at the top and, yeah. and I was really just a surreal moment of like, just such gratitude yeah. that it was happening. And mm-hmm. again, not at all. Like I could not have projected yeah. how it would happen. It was just really cool how it did all come together yeah. and, and who came in just to make it make it work. Yeah. And so it was just fun to experience that. Yeah. It was really fun. And I mean, uh Ascent eight it wasn't not it wasn't that Ascent eight was difficult. Mentally I was resetting. We had a lightning delay on yeah. Friday night uh-huh. and it sh- like we had electrical problems with the gondola. Yeah. Because you wanted to be done with like Ascent 10 by the first nine, nine. at least, yeah, yeah, on Friday night. So I, I was able to do seven on Friday, but we had a three-hour delay. Yeah. So when I was gearing up for Saturday morning and doing Ascent 8, I was a little discouraged just with the fact that I wasn't where I wanted to be Ascent-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I have time. We're going to make this happen. I'm going to keep moving. Yeah. I have lots of time to do this. So, and, and then, oh man, when nine hit and I knew that we had the money money, and everything, I just was like, this is it. This is happening. And then Dave texted me halfway up 10. Hey, the kids are here. Yeah. I was like, yes. Like (laughs) I, it just lit another spark. Yeah, totally. Okay. And then, um, seeing you guys at the top, 
and just sharing that moment yeah. was really special to me. Totally. Really fun. Yeah. And that moment at the top was very emotional. I, like everybody's like giving high fives. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it's so, it was just so cool. Yeah. And then um, at that point I had three ascents left and I was just pumped. Yeah. And so it was like, yeah, you were going through them. Yeah. It was like an hour. <laughs> I mean, I was like, it was like an hour 10 or something. Yeah. But um, yeah. And then again, uh, nearing the top of 13. Yeah. Yeah. That one hit me again. And I think I just, that at that time I was really thinking about all those kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what really set me off was thinking about those families and those kids who, I mean, at right now, like in that moment when I was hiking, I was like, they have no idea. I know what's about that's to so happen. Weird to <laughs> they have no idea. Yeah. That in a year from now, anybody who's graduating is going to be able to move into a career training center and and really amplify their lives mm-hmm. and create a level of self-reliance, yeah. move out of the slums potentially. Yeah. I mean, you just don't know what people will do. Totally. And all of that was just playing in my mind so heavily. Yeah. And I just, yeah, it was it was amazing. Bonkers. Yeah, it's so, so crazy. And then, and then, I mean, a little plug for the song Bonfire Heart from James Blunt <laughs> was playing in, in my headphones. On and, the final ascent? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> and I, I think that song has a lot of really cool meaning. Yeah. And, and it was just feeding what I was feeling. Totally. And that was fun, too. And so, and then, you know... It was just a special moment altogether yeah. to share it with my family and um, all the people who who were pushing themselves. You and yeah. yeah, and and the other participants that were on the hill, who regardless of how many ascents they finished, that event is is what it is because people are there pushing themselves in ways they never have before, yeah. mm-hmm. and I love that about that. It was cool. Yeah, you you got to that little banquet, and um, there was one guy that that hiked uh what was it seven like seven ascents in a in a boot in a boot <laughs> was like, he was due for what? ankle surgery in two weeks yeah and he and i spoke a few times mm-hmm. and i was just amazed at the level of effort he put into that yeah and there were so many good stories like that so on many the people like that totally yeah. yeah do you have like an update on like like what's going on with yeah. hope and like kind of what the next steps are with all that stuff definitely so I worked on the final documentation with doTERRA mm-hmm. and all the processing has is like in its final stages. Nice. So they basically said that eternal hope should see their, their uh, tr- money transfer within this was oh like a week ago within oh. like eight to 15 business days. Oh, wow. So Quick. I, noti- <laughs> yeah. So I notified Usha. Yeah who's in Nepal until October and she and Randall are currently looking at land and they had already been looking at land. Randall is a real estate agent here in Utah. And so that's his business. Yeah. They've been, they've been working with Nepalis and and, and a few different people who they are kind of interested in working with, with Mm -hmm. their land. And so where is it based? Where is it going to be based rather? Not in, it's going to most likely be in Chitwan, which is where the majority of their families are. Okay. Land in Nepal is surprisingly expensive. So Usha and Randall are funding that themselves. Gotcha. But the school will be all taken care of with 
The thirty-four thousand and twenty-two dollars. Nice. That was oh, yeah. raised. <laughs> so you ended up writing thirty-four thousand. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So how much? So DoTerra match fifteen. So you raised nineteen. Nineteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just such an insane amount of money. I mean, like for and the fact that it's going to take care completely of this. Yeah. This school. It, tr- is it translates center. to, I mean, I don't know the exact amount in the Nepali rupee, but somewhere between two hundred fifty and $300,000. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy, man. It, yeah. So that's why. Too hot. No, <laughs> no, it's not. So that's Jeez, why. That's crazy. I mean. That's awesome. Like if you were to, obviously, like we know what $30,000 would do yeah. towards a, a house here I mean, or a training center Even here. that, like it, it's still like. It's so much money, like even regardless, if even if it was here, like it's just like such a cool thing to have, like to build a community in literally like two and a half months, like building, like just building the story and inspiring people to donate and getting doTERRA in on it. And the fact that it all happened within that amount, like that time period, it's just insane. Like it's mind boggling. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the time frame on that. It seemed a little longer, but yeah, I guess because I was building since March. You're building since March. But yeah, it wasn't officially launched in, until the yeah. end of May. And yeah, I had to go back and look at when our first donation came through and it was the end of May. End of May, mm-hmm. which is just crazy. Yeah. So, so, so amazing. And so do you have, I mean, crazy event? What are kind of like the plans with? benchmark and like kind of going uh, forward with benchmark right now i'm revamping the website and i'm also because of 29029 yeah saw the app platform that they have built their community with mm. called mighty networks and i am now working to build a benchmark community through mighty networks so oh, cool so that we have an app platform nice. and that i can continue to let benchmarks community grow outside the bounds of our clients, but oh, also nice. for our e-com and to share the message of us of like how we give back, but also how everything in the shop that we sell gives back gives somehow back. either socially, yeah. environmentally, or to like wildlife conservation mm-hmm. or to animal rescue. Yeah. And so um, our e-com is all set up for that. And um, so when this app is all launched, yeah, We'll also be able to have like barber classes available. Cool. I want to do like a shave class. There will just nice. be. I'm also going to start doing some weekly coaching calls. Yeah. With our community, our members. Nice. And um, just so trying to kind of building that community more. Exactly. Just like yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, it was did that kind of come from like building that community with this? Like event, I, I guess would, you kind of said in the beginning you've always like had a passion for building totally those communities, and I just know like being five years into benchmark now, yeah, it's time, mm-hmm. and I've been looking for a platform to use without having to go through. I mean, talk about thirty thousand dollars. That's about what it takes to build an app. Yeah, so without having to go that route yet, mm-hmm. I felt like this is a great platform to use while I'm growing. Totally. So. That's that's a huge step for us. Yeah. And then personally, um <laughs> there's a there's a the month of October, I'm gonna do this challenge. More hikes. <laughs> more hikes. Nice. <laughs> One of the training events that I did 
for 29029 was called the Cirque Series. Uh-huh. And they just put on these trail run races. Oh, cool. And I did one up at Snowbird. And they have a month. The whole month of October is called Max Vert Month. Okay. And wherever you are, wherever you live, you yeah. just try to put in as much vertical climbing as you climbing can. As you can. Wow. So that's what October is going to be. I mean, hey, Angel's Landing is like right there. Totally. You got a lot. Totally. <laughs> a lot of laps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be working. Just see how I do on that. Cool. And then my biggest goal, though, is to get my entire family to Nepal. Yes. So that is that is my biggest goal. I'm ready. Let's yeah, go. Let's go. I, yeah, you mentioned yeah. shooting the documentary. Yeah, I so, really want that. Sounds like so much fun. Yeah, like it would truly be such so cool to like extend the story and get into how like building the building the um the training center. Yes, and following the kids and just like getting more like yeah, the story it, from that. We community. need to we need to you know show. The progress totally 100 percent, and so yeah because i truly think like it, that's where it's just, it's just not over until, it's not over totally exactly yeah. and and so usha you know she did remind me she and randall did remind me that things do sometimes move slowly in nepal yeah with projects but totally. but they're working as quickly as they can yeah and she is hoping and this might be um sooner than what actually happens but she's really hoping that by may they're in the thick of construction wow so ultimately we're gonna just you know kind of play it by ear play it by ear see what transpires and my goal is to get all of us out there yeah so that we can be a part of building it helping out all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah yeah seeing that come together meet the families yeah and you know the the girl that i've been sponsoring for the last few years I want to meet her and her family. I want my kids and my husband and you to all, you know, be a part of that. Totally. Like it would mean every huge part of your life already. So it's like, it'd be amazing to meet them and totally go through all that. Um, If you were to kind of have, if you were to have any advice for people kind of trying to do the same thing or are just, I think honestly, like trying to build a community or like trying to do something bigger than themselves, like what would, what would that advice be? Find a way to connect with yourself. Mm-hmm. Find ways to connect with who you are. Yeah. And what, where you feel your purpose is in life. Totally. And whether that means meditation or breath work or prayer or um, whatever that is for you. Yeah. Reading some books that might guide you or direct you. Anything that c- can help you connect with yourself, yeah, I think is the best place to start. Yeah, totally. And then where that can just lead you wherever, totally. you know, and and being willing to listen. Yeah. So being a good listener is a huge part of getting that direction. Yeah. And and being willing to have an open heart and uh, yeah. and a lot of gratitude. Totally. Yeah, hundred so, percent. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for You're being welcome. on the pod. Thank you. I appreciate it. Coming, coming all the way up to Provo down from St. George. Anytime. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, please go donate. Do it in your cool kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, um, that's that's it. We're done. Yeah. Thank you, Jack. I yeah. appreciate it. Peace. <laughs> yep. <laughs>